Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. Let's thank our worship team uh, for leading us out so well uh, this morning. That last song, I'm going to tell you, that's some good stuff. Just some good stuff. I love our team and man, grateful that you're here today. And remember, the Heartbeat Connect Church is to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And Sundays are a big part of that. So thank you for being here. If you're visiting with us today, we are honored that you would come out and to be a part. And so grateful that you are here together. Our hope is to make much of Jesus. Now, as we get started today, um, I've been on vacation this past week with my family out in Townsend at a campground called Little Arrow. Has anybody ever camped out at Little Arrow in the house? Yeah, a couple of you. We love it. It's got a, a big river that kind of borders the campground, and I mean, just really fun for the family. It's about, about two minutes outside of cell phone coverage, which is awesome. Uh, you can't buy that. It's really good. And, uh, and so we, we decided we're going to go out there. My brother and his family, Pastor Chris at Oak City, uh, came out. And uh, one of the things that the kids love to do is tube. I'm not a fan of tubing. Here, let me tell you why. Fat people just don't tube well, okay? The tubes are not built for people like me. Everybody's sitting in their tube all nice and protected. I have to lay on it, right, for the hole, get my belly in there, just kind of hunker down. And so, but my kids love it, so we're going to go out tubing. And uh, there's just nothing natural about a big old boy tubing. But we go down the river, and thank you, brother. I feel your pain. Um, so we go, we go down the river. Now, here's the problem. The whole week before we got there, it had rained a whole lot. And, and so I'm not going to say the river was at flood stage, but it was swollen a little bit. And, uh, and we decided to walk about a mile down the road, get in that river, just have a long time. And, and, and my brother looked at me. Now, listen. I've got my nine-year-old, my eight-year-old daughter, and my six-year-old daughter in a couple of tubes. He's got his 13-year-old son, 11-year-old daughter, and then his, let's see, she would be eight now, eight-year-old daughter. And he said, you know what? Why don't we go further down the river than we've ever been? We've never seen, let's just try it. I was like, great, let's do it. Everybody's happy, let's do it. And, and, and so we, we kind of go past the safety point where our campsite is, and we get down into these rapids. They're not bad. And then we begin to hear this roar. And I'm holding on to my kids. And all of a sudden, I look up ahead of me, and there's some bad rapids. I mean, really bad. And my girls turn around and go, Dad, Dad, are we okay? I was like, of course, are we okay? Yes thinking I might lose one or two of them in the whole thing, but I didn't want to show them. And so, man, we get ready, and I, I yelled at my brother. His name's Chris. I, I call him Beep. I said, hey, Beep, man, hold on. We hit these rapids, and all of a sudden, the sound of tubes popping happened. One of my kids just bumps off in the water. Man, so I, I, I get my belly out of that tube, and I, I hop in the water, and I'm going to get her. All of a sudden, I realize that evidently at night, somebody sharpens the rocks. And so I'm getting cut all over the place. And, and man, we get all the kids, and finally we fish them all out of the water. And me and my brother just stand there like, I can't believe we're all alive, you know. And we get up out of the water, and I'm literally bleeding from my arms and my legs and my feet. And so is he. And me and him and his 13-year-old son looked at each other and went, that was awesome. Every one of our girls are crying and throwing up on the side. 
Hey, we're going to die. We're going to die. Dad. And listen, you can imagine the campfire, right? You know, because that story grows, doesn't it? By day, we were tubing the Townsend River. By night, we were go over, going over Niagara Falls in just the tube, right? And, and we nearly died. And, and man, we were sitting by the campfire just recounting it. And you know what was so cool about our near-death experience as a family? <laughs> Is that we did it together. We almost died together. And it was, it was just so cool because the girls, when they all got back to their moms, man, they melted. Daddy almost killed it, all this good stuff. And so we all slept outside the camper. Anyway, it was just it was really, but all oh, we got to share it together. I, I want you to hear me, church. There is a power that is found in together. And I want us to take a little bit of a recap here. Last week, we gave Nehemiah a break on his wall, right? And this week, we kind of go back into our study into Nehemiah. And here's where we've been. We realize this. When it comes to God-sized vision, we, be, we see a building block, and that is this, that God is sovereign, meaning this, that God is both at work and in control even in the midst of the chaos. Trust me, we saw that on the river, right? And this is a great building block of vision. Once we understand that, we also see another building block of vision, and that is, that is burden, that all God-sized vision begins with great burden. Great burden. And then we spend a couple weeks looking at the very thing that powers God-sized vision, and that is prayer. We spent two weeks talking about this four-month span by which Nehemiah prayed to God. And we begin to see that these building blocks of vision come together in the life and the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, this second generation exile from Jerusalem, serving in the prominent role of cupbearer to the powerful Persian king, Artaxerxes. After returning from an expedition to Jerusalem, Hanani, Nehemiah's brother, kind of gives him a little bit of bad news. News that would not only burden his heart, but would break his very heart. The walls of his Jerusalem, of his family's stomping grounds, his hometown, they were broken. The gates, they were burned with fire. What the Babylonians did over a hundred years before this time with Nehemiah was still undone. What the Babylonians did is still undone. The physical condition of the walls painted a bleak picture of the spiritual condition of the people of God. Yet it would be from this burden on Nehemiah's heart that God would birth vision in Nehemiah, a vision to rebuild the walls. Vision that matured after months of, of prayer, which in turn dovetailed into a conversation with the king. And so today, we catch up with Nehemiah, this visionary, as he leaves the presence of the king and begins his own journey to Jerusalem. Also today, we add another building block of vision to our wall. You ready? Here it is. The word together. The power of together. So if you have your Bibles, go to Nehemiah chapter 2, if you would. And we're going to begin in verse 8. And here's what the Bible says in the second part of verse 8. 
And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, remember Nehemiah's recounting what's taking place, the king granted my request. Guys, he's going to let him go rebuild the walls. He's going to send the resources and a security detail, an honorage with Nehemiah. He's going to build Nehemiah's house near the walls. The gracious hand of my God was on me. The king gave me all I wanted. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Now, we're going to stop here just for a moment and pick back up here in a couple of weeks. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite, when those officials heard about this, Nehemiah begins to tell. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, we're going to get back to these two jokers in a couple of weeks, but I want you to hear me. Maybe something you don't know quite yet, and that is this. If you're going to take any part in God's sized vision, you are going to wrestle with a Sanballat and a Tobiah at some point in your journey. We'll catch back up with them later on. But here's where I want you to see. Here's Nehemiah. I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days, exactly what Ezra did years before, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Why? I mean, he had enemies watching and waiting, and he also didn't know quite who he could trust yet. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And he says this. That as he begins this journey... That all of a sudden, at night, he departs the camp in which he is staying, and under the cover of night, he begins to examine the walls. He begins to exactly see what is happening, and what has been done, and what continues to lie in, in ruin. Nehemiah finally arrives in Jerusalem. And here's a reminder, church, just be reminded of this. He didn't reach Jerusalem because he was a skillful orator, or because the queen was possibly a compliant helper, or because the king was such a, a generous sponsor. He's in Jerusalem now only because God is a sovereign provider. Part of our faith journey, church, is that arriving at this conclusion that God has orchestrated so much of our successes and our blessings in our lives. You know, John Piper said it best. He said, God is at work in 10,000 different ways in our lives, and we're aware of maybe three or four of them. Nehemiah's beginning to see that. But why not tell people of this vision to rebuild the walls yet? Nehemiah had to see just how broken the walls were, just how burned the, the gates were. He had to see it for himself as the enemy was watching. And it's simple. Nehemiah had to count the cost of this God-sized vision. Hey, church, you got to hear me. When it comes to God-sized vision, it's important that you and I take a moment and we count the cost. Listen to what Jesus said. And he's talking about discipleship. He said this in Luke 14, 28. For which of you, he's speaking to his disciples, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You say, what a weird, what a weird talking point for Jesus until you realize just a few years earlier in 27 AD, there was an amphitheater that was built and it was poorly built. In fact, it collapsed, and over 50,000 people were either killed or injured. 
And that served as this backdrop going, hey guys, before you follow me, you better count the cost. In fact, the first century, the day of Jesus, the landscape was littered with projects that were left unfinished because those who began those projects never counted the cost. Hey, can I share something with you? All God-sized vision comes at a cost. The outcome of God-sized vision is incredible, but along the way, there are going to be costs. There's a spiritual cost of, of elevating God's will above our wants and our desires, something that is lost on our culture and lost in our church today. There's a physical cost of just time and effort and energy invested. There's the material cost, the financial investment, the leveraging of whatever resources God has blessed you with towards vision. There's the emotional cost of an enemy or enemies who will rise up against you. The psychological cost of battles in your mind that you age of, of fear and worry and uncertainty Hear me, when counting the cost, don't discount what God desires to accomplish in you and with you through vision, his vision for your life. Cowardice, when it comes to vision, wasn't an option for Nehemiah. And hear me, church, it isn't an option for the church. In a fear-filled world, the church must be fearless. You see, God's vision always entails something bigger than our ability to accomplish and our ability to accomplish it alone. A.W. Tozer said this. I think I have it up here. Let's see. Oh, no, I didn't. I want to read this to you. A.W. Tozer said, Outside the will of God, there is nothing I want. Inside the will of God, there is nothing I fear. Believer, count the cost when it comes to vision, but by all means, move forward courageously in the very vision that God has given you. This is why we, this is why we need God, and this is why we need you ready. It's why we need each other. Vision is hard work, but it's also worthy work. Steve Jobs, the uh, founder of Apple, um, once said this about vision. I thought it was really good. He said, if you're working on something you care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision, it pulls you. You see, despite the cost of Nehemiah's vision, he didn't have to be pushed into rebuilding the walls. The vision God gave him, it pulled him, despite the cost. And so Nehemiah continues surveying the damage. It says this, by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well to the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down in its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. There's not enough room for my mount to get through so I went up in the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and I re-entered through the valley gate. You see, as Nehemiah finishes surveying the damage, counting the cost, he knew this, that the task was simply too big for just him. With all the costs associated with, with God-sized vision of rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah knew that the only way to get this done, you ready, was together, together with the people of God. 
And then we find this little commentary here by Nehemiah. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others, watch this, who would be doing the work. And I love that. They don't know it yet. But they're fixing to get their hands dirty in what God has called us to do. Hey, can I remind you of something? God never created you to go it alone. We need two things in this life, believer, to succeed when it comes to the vision and the mission of God. We need Jesus, and we need each other. Remember in Genesis, when God had created Adam and all the living things, before sin had entered the picture, God looked around and said, "Uh uh-oh, something's not good. That old boy Adam... He's alone. And so God created Eve. Why? So that they could do life together. Because they were stronger together. And then we find from Adam and Eve this story of the Old Testament of of God building a people and then a nation to himself. Why? So that they could be image bearers of God to the world. What? Together. And then Jesus comes. And instead of going it alone, he, he calls 12 disciples to follow him, not to mention the many other women disciples who, by the way, did a much better job than the guys did. Different sermon. But, I mean, we find that Jesus in his earthly ministry didn't go it alone. He did life and ministry together. Then Jesus dies and he, he conquers the grave and through the Holy Spirit, he launches the church which served as God's will for every believer. You ready? To live and to do life. To serve Jesus, what? Together. Together. Alone we can do so little. But together we can accomplish so much. And now it's time for the speech. Then I said to them, Nehemiah says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruin, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, watch this. Let me rebuild. Let God rebuild. Come, let us rebuild. The wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And there it is. Nehemiah has counted the cost, the timing is right, and now the final piece of the vision puzzle is in place. That piece, together. Together. Vision will be. Vision must be. And it was designed to be accomplished together. Nehemiah, this cupbearer to the king, turned first-generational contractor, offers the people of God in Jerusalem an opportunity to join him in God-sized vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem together. Together. Just about two years ago, a couple summers ago, We were in a sermon series in Philippians. It was entitled Happy. And I introduced then an equation that works not only for every marriage and every friendship, but is true in every church. And it's this equation. You ready? We is greater than me. That means this. We are stronger 
together. And I want you to hear me that this is the only way that you and I get to the end of seeing vision accomplished in our lives. We must be greater than me. I I love this from from an old guy once wrote this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood or divide the work or give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. You know what that means? That they'll build those ships even better. Nehemiah didn't want the people to just build a wall, but he wanted them to rebuild the city, to rebuild worship, to rebuild their relationship with God. He taught them to yearn for God and his vision to rebuild his city and his people. And so Nehemiah continues with him. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king has said to me. And watch their reply. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Can I teach you something about God's size vision? It's contagious. It's contagious. And people want to do it together. So as a church, let us start rebuilding that which has been broken by our enemy and which has been broken by sin. You see, our five-year vision as a church isn't just about brick and mortar. It's about the good work that God has called all of his churches to do in his mission to save the world. So let us begin this good work of rebuilding what has been broken together. As long as people are hurting, we will work to bring his healing. As long as people are lost, we will work to bring them the gospel, the good news. As long as people are lonely, we will work to bring his presence by being present with them. As long as people are enslaved by addiction, we will fight to bring them freedom. While marriages and families are crumbling, we will work to save them. For those who are battling depression and mental illness, we must work to bring to them the hope of Jesus. For those who are poor, we will work to give you both bread and the very bread of life. For those who are thirsty, we will give you drink and also bring to you living water. To those who are forgotten, we will remind you that you are known and loved and desired by God. While people are still living in darkness, we will shine the light of Jesus even in their darkest night. Let's work Let's do this good work together. In the very powerful promise of Philippians chapter 1, verse 16, we're reminded by Paul being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We must. We must work. And we've got to do it together. We is greater than me. No matter what the work is. I I mentioned in an email a couple of weeks ago and at the end of the service last week, sometimes our work is messy. The Southern Baptist Convention issued a report highlighting sexual abuse and cover-up throughout many churches and areas of leadership. When I read the report over these past couple weeks, I was shocked and I was 
I was sickened. And I was sad. Couldn't believe it. Some of my heroes of the faith names were on that report. I mean, a gut punch. And then I remember this, that there's still good work to be done. As we stand as a church with victims of sexual abuse and we stand for them, we equally stand against those who seek to abuse other people, no matter the title in front of their name. You see, our job and our commitment here at Connect Church is we will fight against every wolf in plain sight or in sheep's clothing to continue the good work that God has called us to do and to bring his hope and healing to those who've been hurt so bad. Hey, church family, three years ago we planted Connect Church. And I'm committing to you as the Lord allows, the next 20 to 25 years of my life to this work together. I don't care what church calls. I don't care who else needs a pastor. For the next 20 to 25 years of our life, Aaron and I are committed to doing the good work God has called us to do here with you, with you. Again, two summers ago in the message in Philippians, I shared with you an illustration. Uh, pastor Randy, my pastor, Randy Davis, uh, was here just a couple of weeks ago. And we met with several pastors in our community, and he reminded me of this illustration. I thought, what a good way to end. You see, sequoia trees are an amazing sight. A wonder, really. The world's tallest trees reaching heights of over 300 feet and weighing in some at nearly 2 million pounds. Now you think of these trees, and you think, well, hey, what enables these trees to grow so tall and to stand for so long must be a deep root system, and the truth is, is that is not right. You would be wrong if you think that. The roots of these trees only grow a few feet into the ground versus the hundreds of feet. They go in the air and you say, well, how, how can they stand for so long? And then you look at their root systems and you realize that the root systems of the sequoia trees, they interlock one to another. They weave in and out, what, together and they're able to stand for so long and to grow so tall and to survive and to thrive. Why? Because they do it together. Show me a sequoia tree on its own and I, sh I will show you a sequoia tree that will not be around or grow big or survive. You see, that's exactly how God created them. They only stand and thrive and survive and grow what? You ready? Together. And that's exactly not only how God designed the sequoia trees and their groves, but that's how God designed you and me in the church. The only way, whether it's the vision of God or the mission of God to save the world, the only way that you and I stand and we thrive and we survive and we grow, is you ready? Together. Together. And this is how we stand and thrive and survive and, and grow. See a five-year vision of a church 
come to be. It's how God's vision for your life and your marriage and your, your parenting and your friendships and, and your vocation, it's how you see all those come to be. And that's together. And so today, that's not only how we begun, but how we continue in this good work. To see this good work, this God-sized vision accomplished. Hey, church, let's do it together. Hey, by the way, do you know that God didn't create you to go it alone in eternity either? We're convinced here that Connect Church, that following Jesus is not only the best way to live this life, it's the only way to die. Not alone, but together with Jesus. Jesus took your sin and your shame upon his cross. He died the death we should have died. He, he rose from the grave three days later. Not for you and I to go it alone but to live this life together with him. Let me ask you something. When are you going to be tired of going it alone? I want to beg of you today. Don't you die alone when Jesus died so that you could be together with him and God the Father by faith for all eternity. Church, we can't go it alone. And if you're here apart from Jesus today, don't you live this life. Don't you die alone apart from Jesus. Let's pray together. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.